Uh, so we're in our series called Words from the Mountain. And each week what we're doing is we're traveling to new sections of the mountain and we're discovering new things about Jesus and the way he says we ought to live. And these words, they're words about the most important thing that you can do with your life. Bring heaven to earth. And specifically the section that we have traveled to is words about how to actually do that. What's the most effective way to bring heaven to earth? And the answer is prayer. And there's a common statement that I hear people say is, I don't know how to pray. And the tragedy behind that is that if you don't know how to pray, what happens is you end up not praying, and then you end up missing out on the greatest thing that has ever happened to you, or the greatest person that has ever happened to you, Christ, his Father, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. So today, here's the good news. Jesus teaches us how to pray, and we've been looking through that, how he's been teaching us how to pray. And today, as we learn how to pray, we learn something about ourselves, that we are both criminals and victims at the same exact time. We are 100% victims and 100% criminals, and we are born into that, into this world, both at the very same time. And it's not that you be, you're, you're first a criminal or you're first a victim and then you become a criminal. It's that all at the same time, you are both of these things. And here's, here's what's happening. There's a battle happening over evil that's inside of you and over evil that is outside of you. And there's a battle, internal and external, and here's what you find. You need some help. And if you don't get it, it's going to end up messing your life up real bad. So here's our verses. says, Jesus is talking, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This last verse, verse 13, this is our focus for today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here's the definition of prayer that we've got today. Prayer is going to your Father who is in heaven and asking him to help deal with the evil that is inside of you and the evil that is outside of you. So let me just show you first that you're a criminal, because you might be fighting me on this. So there's an evil within you. When it says, lead us not into temptation, this is talking about your propensity, my propensity, all of our propensity to run towards sin. Like, we like it. We hate it, yet at the same time, we keep finding ourselves drawn into it, running towards it. And by the way, when it says, lead us not into temptation, this is not saying, hey God, normally you're leading me into temptation and I really wish you would stop doing that, so please stop. In the book of James, we find God will not tempt you. You will be tested, but that's not what this is about. This is about you being tempted. And here's, Jesus is saying that there's an evil within us that makes us run to temptation. Okay? Okay? So you're a criminal, and then you're also a victim. So our verse says, deliver us from evil. Other translations say, deliver us from the evil one. It's essentially saying the same thing, though. There's an evil, and we need to be rescued from it. But the bottom line 
is that there is a battle happening, both internal and external. And if you don't realize that you are both a criminal and a victim at the same time, then you will fail in this battle that you are in. And perhaps you don't even realize you're in the battle. And so what you'll hear a lot of times is preachers emphasize one or the other. So some preachers will talk about how, how much of a criminal you are, and you'll just feel horrible about yourself. And then another preacher will talk about how horrible this world is, and it'll make you scared to just walk outside the doors. And Jesus is nice and basically says both. You're both a criminal and a victim. And let me just prove it to you. Because a lot of times what people will say, no, no, the Bible's very clear. We're just criminals. Like, we're messed up. There's a depravity about us. And, and other times you'll hear, no, 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 we're okay. It's this world that's messed up. So let me show you. First, you're a criminal. Mark 7, 20 and 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. So you have both a sickness in your mind and a sickness in your heart. And you're like, David, man, come on. Like, I wanted to be uplifted today. You're like knocking me down. I came here already feeling horrible about myself. and now. But look, guess what? It's okay. You're not alone. Everybody here is equally as messed up as you. And that's kind of cool. We can be this place of misfits together. All right, so... So not only that, so you're a criminal, but watch, you're a victim. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Galatians 1.4 says that we are living in a present evil age, and 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So, both criminals and victims at the same time, and then here becomes the greater problem. A lot of times what you experience from preachers is they'll say, come on, you can do it. Come on, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Come on, believe in yourself, you can get through this. And what our verse is screaming at you is that you do not have a shot on your own. That you are desperate for a deliverer and you are desperate for a savior, for a rescuer to come. You cannot do this by yourself. The whole point of being a Christian is to say, I can't do this. I need some help here. And so your only shot and not destroying your soul, and not destroying your mind, and not destroying your heart, and in not destroying your entire life, is Christ. Otherwise, it's just this long downward spiral. Sometimes we don't even realize we're in this spiral. And so this is what prayer is all about. A calling out for a deliverer, for someone to help us. So, what I want to do is I want to focus in on each one of these, us being a criminal and us being a victim at the same time. So the first, the, here's, here's the point. We are criminals who pray. So sin, 
It's defined as lawlessness in the Bible, and it's crimes against God, your creator. But sin and temptation are very different. So temptation is the beginning. It's the drawing towards and the falling into this pit, and then you find yourself sinning. But temptation comes first before the sin comes. So here's how it goes. So the first thing that happens, you're going about your day, everything's good, and then all of a sudden you think of something, or you see something, or you remember something, and then you're drawn. And maybe you're fighting a bit. You don't want to go there. And then the next thing you know, what these like dark skeleton-like hands start gripping at you. And they're pulling you towards this pit of temptation. And then eventually you get close enough, you're flirting with the idea of it, and then you fall in the pit, and then there's all of these like dark, mysterious, skeleton-like hands in this pit holding onto you, and you can't get out of it, and you're done for. And then you sin. What are verses telling us telling you, telling me, is that we have a propensity to sin, whether we want to admit it or not. And we keep doing it. And if you don't think that you do, you're going to sin every single time. And you're going to lose the battle if you don't realize it. So people who don't realize that they're in a fight will lose every single time. When I was in high school, I got jumped. It didn't go very well. Um, I, got, I didn't realize I was in a fight. Um, there were some words exchanged. I should have realized something was about to happen. Someone came behind me, punched me, knocked me out. Um, I was on the ground uh, getting beat up. I woke up. I got a couple punches in, like some quick rabbit punches, and then I got kicked in the head, and it was not good. I got beat up bad, but I didn't realize I was about to be in a fight. And that's what happens to us. We don't realize what's happening around us. We don't realize what's happening within us. And because we don't realize that we're in a fight, we keep sinning over and over and over again. We don't realize what's happening. So you got to recognize what it feels like to fall into temptation and what it feels like to be drawn into the temptation. So there's this thing that happens um, with drummers. They get into what's called a pocket where they're getting into this groove and it just sounds so good and it's like they can't get out of it. Just everything's flowing perfectly. Well, to fall into temptation is the exact opposite of this. You've fallen into something that you can't get out of. You're gripped by these dark skeleton-like hands and they're not letting you go until you sin. They're determined to make you sin. So before, and, and this is the idea, so, so before you're in this pit of temptation, it's much easier to walk away, and that's the point of this prayer. This prayer is saying, look, you're going to be flirting with the idea of falling into this temptation pit, and when you start feeling that, that's when you start praying. You say, God, lead me away from this temptation. That's when you start praying this prayer. All right, what I want to do is I want to give you three examples of what happens Three examples of some ways that you're probably falling into temptation. Don't worry, I'm not going to expose all your sins. So, so here, here, here you go. There's a sin in your life that you keep fighting against, but you keep finding yourself falling into it, and you're getting madder and madder at yourself. I've got to stop doing this. Why do I keep falling back into this? And so you're fighting against it, and then a thought pops in your mind. This isn't such a big deal. I don't know why I'm making such a big deal about this. Now, I know that this has happened to you. Now, what happened? Because you were beating yourself up 
over this sin over and over and over again. And now all of a sudden, this isn't a big deal. What's happened? You've essentially fallen into this pit of temptation. And as soon, let me tell you this, as soon as you say to these words in your mind, this isn't such a big deal, that's when you got to take off running because you're about to fall in and you're not going to be able to get out. As soon as that thought pops in your mind, this isn't a big deal, you got to take off running. So that's the first way temptation comes at you. The second way. This one, uh, this one's a bit worse, and it's a bit more sneaky. So you're trying hard, you're living a good life, you're loving God, you're loving others, you're being generous, you're doing all the stuff you're supposed to do, you're being a good husband, a good father, you're being a good mother, a good spouse, you're being a good friend, and your life is not going well at all. And you're like shaking your fist at God, like, come on God, I've been trying really hard, what's going on here? And slowly what begins to happen, if you keep doing this, and keep shaking your fist at God, is you begin to start doubting him. And you begin to start questioning him. And this doubt settles in and you become disappointed in God. You become angry at God and you become numb to God. And you feel it growing and before you know it, you're not trusting God anymore. And you're ready to walk away from the church and you're ready to walk away from God. Five years later, you look back at your life and you're like, what has happened? And I'll tell you what happened. You, you flirted with the idea of God isn't good. You flirted with this idea that how could God be doing this to me? You flirted, you forgot something that's incredibly important. And that if God is willing to die for you, then there's going to be things that happen in your life that seem bad but somehow, some way, God is going to redeem that because if he's willing to die for you, surely he's willing to do what it takes to bring good out of what's happening in your life. But you stopped reminding yourself of that. And every single one of us in this room is capable of that. All right, the last thing is a cultural temptation. And these ones are sneaky too. There are sins in our culture that I'm telling you, our grandkids or our great-grandkids are going to look at the things that we're doing and they're going to shake their head in disgust and be like, I can't believe that they did that. And we have no idea that we're doing something wrong. Because the sins of the culture are like, everybody else is doing this. This must not be wrong. And we just kind of walk into something that is normal. If you don't realize that you are in a battle with temptation and with sin, then you're not going to think. And you're not going to look at the things that are happening in culture and you're not going to say to yourself, wait, 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 let me think this through. This doesn't seem right. But you're not going to think. You're not going to take the time because you're just thinking, I'm not in a fight. All is good. But there's good news for you criminals Romans 5.10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He's not just reconciling us either, though. and He's not just saving us. He's also now leading us. Psalm 119, verse 133, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. See, Here's a mistake. You are praying 
that you would master your sin. And what you should be praying is that Christ would master you. And then as he masters you, he also masters your sin. And so you either get mastered by your sin or you get mastered by Christ, one or the other. So you're in a fight against an evil that is within you, and you're also in a fight against an evil that is outside of you that is way stronger than you. And this is victims who pray. This is our next point. So our verse says, deliver us. To be delivered means that you are helpless and you need someone to come like you are captive to something and you need somebody, something to grip you and pull you up out, snatch you up out of the situation that you are in. So there's an evil that you can't see and whether you believe it or not, it is there and culturally speaking, this idea of Satan is laughable to our culture. And it's probably laughable to a lot of us So we're going to keep this fight thing going. So if you've ever watched MMA fighting or boxing, sometimes there are boxers or fighters that feel really good about their abilities, and they feel really good that they're going to win. And so they come into the ring, and they're kind of dancing around, like laughing, like mocking the person, and then all of a sudden, the person that's up against them does this like surprise spinning back kick, gets them right in the forehead, they knock to, their, knock to the ground, and they're knocked out. This is the same thing that happens with us. We make Satan laughable and then we find ourselves being kicked right in the forehead because we didn't realize that we were actually in a fight. So the word Satan, it means accuser. So watch, watch this. So Jesus is talking in Luke 22 and he says to Peter or Simon something that's crazy. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Like this is, this is Jesus' like, guy. He's, he's Jesus' annoying friend, basically, but he's always like right next to Jesus. And so he says, Satan demanded you to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Satan's coming for us, and he's trying to sift you out. And what that means is he's trying to separate you. And he's trying to separate you from God and he's trying to accuse you and he's trying to accuse all these reasons why you should be separated from God. Or he's accusing you in such a way that you start feeling, feeling like, man, maybe there is no God at all. So we don't realize we're in a fight and so we lose. So how do we fight? We pray. To pray is to fight. Satan's main tool is to lie, to make accusations about yourself, to make accusations about God, and to try to convince you that there's actually no such thing as evil at all. There's an atheist whose name is Andrew Del Banco, and he writes something that is incredibly important and incredibly biblical. He, started, he starts talking about our culture. He writes this book. He's an atheist. He wrote the book called The Death of Satan. And in it, here's what he argues. That there, there is sin and there is evil, but we have taken those words out of our vocabulary. And by taking those words out of our vocabulary, what we're doing is we're making them a myth. We're making them not real. And he says, but there actually is evil and there actually is sin. And we need to put these words back into our vocabulary because if we don't, we're not going to be able to understand what in the world is happening around us. So we need to stop laughing at this idea of Satan. And stop shrugging our shoulders 
So, and, he, and here's what it looks like. Satan's main goal is to try to convince you that God is not for you. Satan's main goal is to try to convince you that God does not have your best interest in mind. And that is actually how it all started. With our first parents, Adam and Eve, Satan came in the, on, the, on the scene and he's whispering these lies. Saying God is not to be trusted. He does not have your best interest in mind. So you better get out from underneath his rule and you better take the crown that's on his head and you better put it on your own. And he'll say things to you now like, look at your life. You really think that there's a God? Look at all the stuff happening to you. Or look at all the suffering in the world. There couldn't be a God. Or, look at your sin. There's no way that God loves you. You start believing it. I can't tell you how many times somebody's told me, ah, oh, you know, if I walked into church, I'd burn up. Ah, oh, you know, I, it's too late for me. It's misunderstanding grace completely. So what do you do? You got to get really good at telling yourself the truth. Look at this, Psalm 91. This is beautiful. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And this is, this is so like epic sounding, it all, you almost miss what's being said. And then it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Okay, a fowler. You know what a fowler is? A fowler is some, someone who hunts after birds. So like you're a bird, and there's a hunter after you, and it's Satan. And then Jesus is, you know what opinion is? Opinion is this huge, large wing. And so this picture is of Jesus coming on the scene as we are these little tiny like hummingbirds, and he's wrapping his wings around us, and the arrows of Satan end up being thrown right into him instead of us. This is the picture of Jesus coming for us. He comes and he becomes exactly like us and he comes for us and then he gets hit in our place. Look, let me, let me end with this. Jesus climbs upon the cross for you and you know what he becomes? A criminal and a victim. He's treated as a criminal and he's killed, though he was innocent. And he becomes the victim, though he was a son, and though he could have climbed off of that cross at any moment, but he went there. Why? So that he could go down into death, and then he could rise from a criminal to a son, and rise from, what's the word? Not a criminal, but a, Victim. victim. It's a victim. And he rises up a hero. And he does that so we could take hold of him. And as we do, we go from criminals and victims to sons and daughters of God and heroes who pray for the people around us and for our world. But you've got to realize that you're in a battle. 
And let's be honest, we don't. So we got to open our eyes to what's happening around us so we will actually start praying and so we'll go to the one who is our Savior. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that these words would not fall on deaf ears, but we would hear all that was said and these truths would echo in the halls of our hearts and that we would realize that we really are in a battle and we would take it very seriously. And God, I feel like there is a weight today that I don't really quite understand, but I feel like there's a weight. And so I pray, God, whatever's going on with people here today, whatever's going on in people's hearts, whatever the suffering is, whatever the challenges are, whatever the weightiness is, God, I pray that you would lift that from them and you would help them. And I pray, God, that everybody here would go to you for deliverance from evil and for help to deal with the evil that's in us. God, you are good and you are always good. Even when we don't understand what's happening, we trust that you're good. And when we doubt it, convince us that we're wrong. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.